our team at the Montana State News Bureau is back again at the Capitol following all the major action during the 90-day legislative session. From how Republicans navigate an historic supermajority to transformational decisions on spending billions in surplus and the fate of intense social bills. Listen here each week for everything you need to know about your state legislature. This is Big Sky Lead. Okay, so it is uh, week two of the 68th Montana Legislative Session. Um, With me today is Tom Kuglin and Holly Michaels of the Montana State News Bureau. Um, Now that we're on to week two, we're starting to see more policy bills moving through hearings. Um, Let's start, Tom, with you. Um, What have you seen uh, in the hearings that you've been following? Yeah, you know, things are just starting out kind of slow um, in some regards, but then um, we had a pretty interesting bill drop um, this week. Um, It would really be kind of a a landmark um, piece of legislation if it passes in in Montana water law. Um, So the majority leader, um, Senator Steve Fitzpatrick from Great Falls, um, has this bill. Um, And basically what it would do, it would set up um, what would be a revised court system to handle all sort of water law cases. Um, and right now, there's um, water law is incredibly complicated right. and, and can be really controversial too. Um, but basically, we have a first in time, first in right system. So if I have an older, if I filed my water right claim before you did, I get the water, my allocation of water before you do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's taken literally decades to try to figure out who was before who, um, and it's not going to be done for a while. Oh, okay. Um, this water court, which was formed in the late seventies by the legislature, um, has been trying to what they call do um, decrees for basins. So that's basically they figure out every water right before the nineteen seventy three, when basically when the last constitutional convention was, mm-hmm. um, every water right before then they're trying to figure that out. And you know these are going back to the eighteen hundreds, some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only is it a very slow process, but it's also a very expensive process oh, okay. uh, for people to, you know, hire attorneys and, 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 and deal with this. And then a year like we had with all the drought last year, um, you know, water was a big issue. So right. you have what are called water commissioners, which are appointed by district courts, um, or can be at the request of water users to go out and actually turn off and on the head gates or, you know, negotiate. Um, between between water users. So basically what Fitzpatrick's bill would do is shift all the responsibilities from the district court to the new water court. Okay. Um, ER is, you know, this is a more streamlined system. Um, there's quite a few supporters. Um, Governor Gianforte's office supports this bill. Um, I think it's pretty clear that there are some issues with the bill that, you know, it would take a lot of amendments to get it sort of where people felt good about it. And there's a pretty sizable opposition. So it was interesting. You had um, A groups that were for it and A groups that were against it. What was the argument against it? So I think anytime you're talking about water, mm-hmm. it's a big deal. Right. You're talking about a property right that, you know, is, is a vastly important to right. the value of somebody's property if you're an irrigator. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of concern about, you know, why are we tinkering with the system? Okay. Um, the other thing I should point out is that the water court is set to dissolve in 2028. They're supposed to have all this decrees done for the whole state by 2028. Are they on track to do that? Who knows? <laughs> um, I think the, the the pace at which they 
do their work, um, there, there's certainly some skepticism out there that we're going to be done by then. Okay. So this would make a permanent water court that would consider all things like, um, you know, who's first in time um, and first in right. Um, the water court would actually appoint commissioners. Um, there's also a provision in there where, like, a district court judge could sit as a water court judge. Okay. But um, I know we're talking a lot about this, and it's it's a pretty wonky bill, um, but very important for, for anybody, you know, water, whether you're an irrigator, recreationist, or you want to see water when you turn on your tap in a, in a municipality. Right. Um, so this is an important bill. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing we're looking at is, you know, some, some wildlife bills are sort of ramping up. Right. Um, there's a what we call agency bills or um, committee bills that come through, and they're, they've been pretty well vetted. Um, there's one that would double the payment cap for block management. Block management is an access program mm-hmm. whereby um, landowners receive a payment per day. It's called an impact fee. Right. Um, it's $13 now okay. per hunter day. Um, but... Um, they want to double the maximum amount to fifty thousand dollars, and then that that would also include um, a th- some room for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks to increase the per day payment, which mm-hmm. a lot of people would like to see increased. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing a lot of pressure, obviously, on public access, so this is this is a you know pretty important one, and it's one where um, you know it's really just widely supported. Yeah, tell me about that that kind of universal support for a bill like this. Well, I mean, it crosses you know, the divides that um, obviously come up a lot during wildlife bills, which is, you know, public access, um, land, you know, private property rights, public wildlife. Um, It's a wildly popular program. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a critical access program in Montana for private lands. Um, You know, we had an industrial timber company phone in who owns literally hundreds of thousands of acres. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, we want to have an access program, but what's important to us less than, you know, a few thousand dollars is having the ability for our access program to be enforced by Fish, Wildlife, and Parks to have enforcement staff out there right, uh, monitoring what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so even, you know, you have all spectrum of, of sort of landowners that, that it's an important program for. And the payments on block management, you know, I know you, you've done some reporting on this in the past. Mm-hmm. The payments on block management haven't, hasn't really followed with the times, has it? No, I mean, if you look like at a comp- consumer price index, right now it's thirteen dollars. It would to to have stayed with the rate of inflation, it would be like eighteen dollars. Mm-hmm. There's talk even as going as high as twenty dollars a day. Right. Um, and when you're talking about access issues, that includes um, obviously what's going on with our state with um, what they call non-traditional landowners, people mm-hmm. buying amenity properties, um, and then leasing, and then also sort of the advent of a VRBO style um, hunting access where, you know, right. you can reserve a private land through a, through an intermediary. Um, you know, this is, this is a pretty important bill. I think people feel like to try to stay competitive right. in that kind of marketplace. So, um, but, you know, we are looking forward. I'm, I'm kind of working on a preview on fish and wildlife issues for the session and, um, you know, it's pretty quiet so far. It's, it's not clear if, you know, people are kind of keeping their powder dry on some of this stuff. Or mm-hmm. um, I am hearing from a, a few people here and there that they think it's going to be a little quieter than the last session. Oh, really? Which would be pretty easy Yeah. <laughs> um, after what we saw between elk and wolves and, mm-hmm. and other stuff, um, black bear hunting with hounds and a lot of bills that got people, um, you know, very 
um, riled up and on both sides and, and people wanted to talk about. So right. we'll see what comes to this session. Right, right. Another thing we're seeing this session is the outcome of a lot of work done um, between sessions uh, to look at how child protective services in the state works. And that comes out of a concern over the last several years of record high numbers of kids being removed from their homes. Holly, you know, you've been following the start of those bills being introduced. Can you talk, uh, talk to us about, you know, what's happening there? Yeah, so going back to 2018, so after the 17th session, there was reporting that Montana had removed the most kids ever from their homes and placed them into foster care. Mm -hmm. And that's something that caught the attention of a lot of lawmakers. It was a you know, high number for Montana, but also as a percentage of our population higher than surrounding similar states and most other states too. So you know, then we came back in 19 and talked a little bit about it, but there wasn't much legislation. It was kind of a newer problem. Mm -hmm. The health department did a lot of work to try to lower that number, you know, looking at programs of helping parents, you know, really early on, um, maybe even before a child's born to sort of prevent removals as much as possible. And they were able to bring the number down, but it still is, you know, higher sometimes. It's better than it is, but it still isn't great. And obviously, right. ideally, that number is zero. Mm -hmm. um, so in 19, there wasn't a lot of action. Not a lot got passed. In 21, there was uh, legislation that set aside space for lawmakers to study the issue more. So they did a ton of work between the 21 session and this session now. Mm -hmm. Sort of look at the problem, talk to stakeholders, people involved about ways that they think we can lower the number of kids in care. So we're seeing a lot of those bills come now. There's two main bills that came out of a committee that studied this. Um, they're being carried by Representative Jennifer Carlson. Okay. And the first one um, is pretty straightforward. It got a lot of support. Um, it would look at there's been pilot projects in the state that shorten the timeline from when a child is removed from the home to when the first sort of interaction a family would have with the legal system is. So there's informal hearings it's trying to have within 72 hours of a removal and then ensure that that first official court hearing happens within five business days. And there's been pilot projects, the most prominence in billings, mm -hmm. that show that that's super helpful for keeping you know parents engaged, of understanding, you know what they might need to do for unification with their kid. All of that it sort of makes court less terrifying. Before you might wait 20 days or longer to have that first hearing, so you don't have any clarity. So having expediency kind of yep. baked into the process has has it's shown better results. Totally. Okay. So that's the first bill. Um, you know, pretty broad support for that one. Pretty simple legislation. You know, policies that are already being enacted in some places around the state. The second one had a pretty intense hearing on Monday, and this one would do a lot of different things. The main parts people are looking at is it would require a warrant for child and family services to remove a child, except in the case where there's a concern about you know, serious bodily harm to the kid or sexual abuse if mm -hmm. the removal doesn't happen. It would also require, in most cases, law enforcement to be present during that removal. It would also do some changes about you know, substance abuse comes into play, and we're talking about child abuse and neglect. And it would change, as I understand it, so that if, if someone is seen abusing a drug or just using a drug, I guess, is what it's looking at. Like one use of someone out at a party using a drug once does not constitute substance abuse. Okay. So sort of looking at that level. 
There's other things it does. It's getting into super, super complicated world of, you know, removals and safety and, you know, determining what is and isn't safe is really hard in child abuse and neglect cases because you're kind of judging in some ways morality. You know, right. what might be okay for one parent and considered safe isn't to another. And there are standards that Child and Family Services works toward when they're making these determinations, but there's been frustration about a lack of clarity in some cases. The state also shifted. There's different models that states can use to make determinations of when a kid is safe at home or not. Mm. And we shifted to a model that I think is part of why we've been able to bring the number of removals down, um, in addition to work they're doing to just help families on the front end. So that's a big, complex part of this. Um, There's also a lot of really hard discussions that this committee was getting into and in some places dancing around of looking at... Like alcohol in Montana is a big problem. You know, right. we, we're a state that has really bad rates of drinking deaths and DUIs and all of that. And just how, you know, for some families, families of wealth, we look at when they might be using alcohol around kids that seem more as a social thing, where if you have families in poverty, there's more judgment made on those families sometimes. Okay. So a lot of like really hard, big, complex topics that this committee got into right. pretty deep on Monday in a really long hearing. Um, and it's hard because, you know, everyone in these hearings is talking about we're all here because we want what's best for kids. We all agree. We all have the same goal. How we get there is kind of different sometimes. Where, so. Yeah, where are the, where do those paths diverge a little bit or where where are the different camps at on these this legislation? You know, it's hard because I don't think there's a real clean at this point party line divide. Hmm. Um, and, you know, and you'll see um, like ACLU came in in support of the bill looking at – requiring law enforcement involvement and that's either they advocate for rights and parental rights would be one of those in this case so like that's a group where some people might be kind of surprised to see where they're coming in just based on where this bill falls but you know I think we saw a lot of support from people who've had interactions with the system um, for this legislation we saw the health department come in opposed to it they were raising concerns about you know we already have a court system that's overwhelmed um, mm-hmm. in Montana. So getting a warrant might be really hard. We heard from the Sheriff's and Peace Officers Association about how they're, you know, they don't have a lot of employees, what they need in a lot of places anyway. And they also are saying, you know, we recognize this law enforcement. Sometimes we aren't in a de-escalation role, whether, you know, just our presence. It's not anything we're doing in that space. But you put a cop in somebody's house and mm-hmm. they might not feel great about right. it. So we heard opposition there. A lot of opposition, too, and this is another thing the bill does, it would limit the information that these there's two different groups that are called CASAs or guardian ad litems, CASAs, court-appointed special advocate. They mm-hmm. sort of represent kids in this space. Right. Um, it would limit the amount of information they can get. I, there was testimony, and I don't understand this very well, but it sounds like they can get like a lot of just medical records for kids, for parents, all that sort of stuff, and people maybe want to limit that a little bit. And the sponsor is saying, you know, they can still get all the court information they need, we feel, to fulfill this role of helping the kid out. But we heard a lot of opposition from people who do CASA work or guardian ad litem work saying, you please don't limit. We are, in some cases, like, really the only voice that's there for this kid. You know, the parent loves them, of course, and wants to be there and help them. But their parent has their own legal representation. And we're kind of the person that is there for that kid. Right. So that was another really strong voice of opposition we heard. Um, What would... what do proponents say? Why are 
why are proponents in favor of withholding this information from these court-appointed guardians? This is where it's like really tricky to report on these because you know someone came up and they said they had heard of a case where a casa got like decades of medical records from before a child was even born on a parent, which felt like an overreach to them. Right. But, you know, that's hard for us to verify if someone says that in a committee and then we can't catch them later and it's private stuff. So that was mainly the concern. Is that just too much information, not totally pertinent to the cases going out? So it was a lot of focus on for people supporting this bill of parental rights. They brought up the point of, you know, you couldn't walk into my house and take my TV without a warrant. So why mm-hmm. could you take a child? Um, but then, you know, a TV isn't something you can abuse and isn't a human. So right. it's just, it's all super, super complex. And there's a lot of like really interesting and hard, difficult discussions. So, so do we know, do we have a picture of what else might come, um, you know, with the child protective services out of this interim work? Yeah, there's so representative Dennis Lenz, sorry, Senator Dennis Lenz now from Billings has worked on this issue a lot. He's got a couple of the other major pieces, including one that has a hearing today, Wednesday, and it would remove the anonymity in child abuse reports. So right now, if you suspect abuse, you know, there's people who are required reporters, like a teacher, someone has to make a report, but a neighbor who sees something, they're not by law obligated to report, but if they call into this hotline right now, that can be done anonymously. Lens is arguing that if you can't get back in touch with that person, then it's hard to clarify things. If you have a question about it, if you're investigating, um, there's also claims of people using this process. And I don't know if there's much to substantiate this, but sort of as retribution against people. So the anonymous piece, I think there's legislation that would look at penalties if you're knowingly abusing the reporting process. The reporting process, process. okay. So those are kind of the other big pieces. Okay. But it seems like there's a lot of appetite around addressing this. Um, There's also, in this realm, Gianforte has, I think it's now $5,000 tax credit for adoptions. Right. um, Which I think has a lot of support because there are cases where kids need to they just can't be with their parents, and that's not the safest option. And even if you were toward a unification, you can't get there. But I have heard some opponents to that idea say they would rather see that kind of money directed more toward the front end, catching families, you know, maybe before a kid's taken out of the home right, right after to help pay for services they might need to be reunified. So mm-hmm. it is one of these things where there's a lot of different ideas about the fix, and there's just not, you know, there's no agreement, but everybody really is wanting to find solutions for kids right we'll just see what washes out in the pan yeah all right guys well uh i think that's it for for this little week two recap we all good there totally all right thanks guys thanks tom